I guarantee you, if you asked Richard Luger, rest in peace, or Hudnut, or Goldsmith, or Peterson, or Ballard, if you what if you wanted to make them smile, if you wanted to have them reflect in a positive way about their time as mayor, it wouldn't be ribbon cutting. It wouldn't be buildings. It wouldn't be we handled this crisis. We hosted this event. It would be, tell us about your staff. What are your staff doing these days? You're listening to Robert Vane, CEO of Veteran Strategies and host of the Leaders and Legends podcast. Robert talks about his interviews with over 100 leaders of the state of Indiana and the city of Indianapolis going back multiple generations on this episode of Michael Loves Indy. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Michael Loves Indy. I'm really excited to feature a conversation with a great friend of mine, Robert Vane, on this episode. Robert Vane set out a few years ago to interview as many people as he could, men and women who had been leaders of the city of Indianapolis and the state of Indiana in different roles and who came at politics and civic leadership from different angles. And I just wanted to have a conversation with them about what what have you learned, you know? Um, and uh, the conversation takes us to some really interesting places, including those I didn't anticipate. So I hope you enjoy it. I'll tell you about Robert Vane. He is an Army veteran. Um, after many years serving in the U.S. Army, he entered Republican politics where he worked for various elected officials. He also, uh, while he was doing that, has a long career of writing and teaching at the university level. He has... Um, led communications for many different elected officials, including Mayor Greg Ballard, where he led communications and also served as Deputy Chief of Staff. Robert and I worked very closely together for about five years for Mayor Greg Ballard. Today, he leads his firm, Veteran Strategies, a media relations, community outreach, and crisis communications firm. He also is a voracious reader and knows a lot about medieval history, Civil War history, and I'm going to say 20th century popular music history because he's a bit of a rock and roll encyclopedia. But um, it's really Robert's burning curiosity that has driven the Leaders and Legends podcast, which I highly recommend. He's conducted to date, the number I think is approaching 150 interviews with different leaders, many who represent civic leadership of the city of Indianapolis and state of Indiana, but also those who represent Robert's intellectual interests in military history and things like that. I highly, highly recommend Leaders and Legends. It definitely inspired me to start to record conversations and get Michael Loves Indy going. So we have a free-flowing conversation. Of course, we ran out of time, so I'm going to have to have him back on. But I hope you enjoy this conversation with Robert Vane. Here with Robert Vane. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Michael. This is the first conversation, recorded conversation I've had in my house since COVID. So 
For well, sure. you have a beautiful home with a beautiful family and a beautiful wife. And, uh, you know, Thanks. I'm looking around at all the musical instruments. It's like being in the middle of the Tonight Show set. <laughs> it's fun. We, uh, I'll, I'll, we're playing our first live show July the 2nd at that new annex outside in Fountain Square. So I'll, I'll send you the info for that. So I'm pretty excited about that. Please do. Um, so you may, you may or may not know, you've really been an inspiration to me and I think a lot of people because not only did you set out to interview all of these fathers and mothers of Indianapolis, but you've conducted 120 different interviews and I know they're not all the fathers and mothers of the city. I know there's all, there are several historians and people that, that are, are of particular interest to you. But I listened to the Leaders and Legends podcast. I'd encourage anybody hearing this to listen to it. And I'm just in a week where I, I think I could use some religion. I just wanted to hear kind of you reflect on um, that, that's, that creating that body of work. And, and are there specific things that you've learned, you know, about, about Indianapolis? So. Well, very quickly, the, the, the genesis of the podcast, of the Leaders and Legends podcast, came from the fact that I directed the IPS referenda in 2018, which we were fortunate enough to have both halves passed. And I realized I really wasn't getting a lot of free marketing for either myself or, or the company, Veteran Strategies, my PR company. And when you're used to, you work for the mayor, you work for the governor or a political party or a candidate, because that's my background. Well, then you're in, you're in TV, radio and print all the time. Your name is, but I'd gotten away from that. So I asked a friend of mine named Rachel Coverdale of Coverdale Consulting. She's amazing. Uh, her thoughts. And she said, you should start a podcast. And I was like, what the hell kind of millennial Tide Pod nonsense is a podcast? And <laughs> She said, no, 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 it's a big deal. And I was like, well, what am I going to do a podcast on? Like, what? And she said, we'll do it on public relations. And I said, but I'm not, I'm not a public relations expert. I just do that. And she goes, well, what's your degree in? I go, 14th century English history. I'm like, I'm, the audience has got to be vast for that. And she kind of looked at me like I was from Pluto. And I said, but if I was going to do something, I would like to do an interview show because I love interviews and I love asking questions. And she said, nobody's doing that. You should do that. And the first person I had on, first person I asked was Mayor Greg Ballard. And then it kind of took off from there. You know, you the, the first people that you reach out to are the folks you feel comfortable reaching out to. So like my first guests were Bill Benner, Jim Shella, Teresa Wells Denton, Stevie Stays from the market. Amanda Kingsbury, the list goes on and on. And, you know, I think if you, if you tell people ahead of time, look, and I say this all the time, the leaders and legends podcast is designed to be informative, entertaining, and comfortable because people are a little worried these days. And I'm like, no, 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 we don't do that. Like we, I'm not going to ask you any questions that you don't want to want to answer and if I ask a question you don't want to answer then just say you don't want to answer it and we'll edit it out and so if you get people comfortable and then you build a body of work like Mitch Daniels has come on my podcast twice but Mitch Daniels has booked two or three dozen guests for me who otherwise would never have come on if I wasn't dropping his name yeah that's great so something about something about your personal story because I want to get back to loggers and leaders but um 
You grew up in Indianapolis, East Side, IPS, Army career. Can you get this just if, for, for people who are listening who haven't met you before? Uh, tell us about yourself. Well, in order to make this fit the time allotment, I won't mention all the places I shoplifted on the East Side. <laughs> the statute of limitations, I think, has run out. Maybe Vaughn can represent me or Cotterill. Uh, I grew up on the east side, went to four IPS schools, uh, lived in Irvington, graduated from Howe in 1986, was in the Army from 87 to 90, then got a couple college degrees at IUPUI. My graduate degrees in medieval history and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I reached out to a friend of mine named Russ Tuttle, who was a deputy chief at the sheriff's department, said, you have to have some political hack job. I want to get involved in politics. This was spring of 1998. Ended up working at the sheriff's department for a couple of years, then got a job at the state house working for the state auditor. 2002, Doris Ann Sadler wins Marion County clerk. I run the elections for three and a half years. Then in May 2006, uh, Jennifer Hollowell, who was the executive director at the Indiana Republican Party, gave me a job that I absolutely 100% had no business getting, and that was communications director for the Indiana Republican Party. I was there until April of 2007. Excuse me, I was there until October 2007. Seven days later, Greg Ballard shocked everybody, except himself, of course, you know, because he's Kreskin. He knew he was going to win. And he's mayor of Indianapolis. I go be his press secretary during the transition. Then I end up joining the administration in November of 8. Stayed there for two years and started veteran strategies in November of 10. Did you... You know, going from um, your army career to working as a staff person, did like my question is you 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 developed a a, a um, expertise in uh, public relations, but communication, media relations, all those kinds of things. And what was the when did it click? Like, was there anything when you transitioned from the army? to working for elected officials that might have predicted that you'd be advising mayors and governors and senators? and That's a terrific question, and the answer is simply no. Um, the communications director position became open in spring of 2006. It was a job that people had had before me. It was a job I always wanted. And the person who called me and said, hey, this is available – is a buddy of mine who I'm sure you know. His name is Dave Arlen, who's absolutely terrific. And I was like, man, I'd kill to have that job. But I don't really know Jennifer Hollowell that well. I knew Murray Clark a little bit, who was the chairman of the party. In other words, I didn't have an in. But I had an in, and I didn't know it. And that in was named Pershing Edwin McAllister. <laughs> Rest in peace. Rest in peace yep. to the greatest of the great. And so I applied for the gig, didn't hear anything. And then eventually got an interview, and I'll tell the story very quickly. In between the time I had the interview and the date I was hired, the chairman of the Indiana Republican Party went to go see P.E. McAllister, who at the time was a good friend and then ended up being a very dear friend, um, for P.E.'s annual contribution, which I think was $50,000. And apparently P.E. was not going to write this check until he had received confirmation that I was getting that job. So much so that Marty Obst, our friend, whom I did not know, came up to me on my first day of work at the Indiana Republican Party and said, who the hell are you? And I said, hey, I'm Robert Vane. You know, I stick my hand out and the new comms guy. And he's like, no, I don't care about that. Like, who are you? 
who are you that's going to almost cost me $50,000 because PE is not going to write this check. And that shows that um, there's a guardian angel on all of us, some of them in heaven and some of them on earth. So no doubt. Um, so you have, I, I learned a lot from you in the three years or so that we worked together closely in, in uh, Mayor Ballard's office. And uh, this is, this is related to, uh, to um, leaders and legends. You have a unique ability to take um, policies, um, you know, transactions, like we did a lot of development transactions for the city, complex ideas, and really distill them down to very specific ideas that are compelling to people. Where, where did that come from? The, the two or three things that, that have helped me message. One would be, um, I'm a fanatical, although not as good as I used to be, fanatical chess player. And chess really helps you message because you always have to anticipate the other side. You can't just worry about what you're going to do. So putting your knight on C6 may seem like a good move in a vacuum, but you always have to anticipate the other side's reaction. It's counter move. That's A. B is being a student of Professor Bill Bloomquist at IUPUI, the single most brilliant man I've ever met. And it's, and it's not close. It's, it's secretariat in the 73 Belmont. I mean, he's that far ahead of everyone else. And he just made me think like, okay, I understand that's what you think, but what about A, B, and C? And you're like, man, I didn't think about that. It's so helpful. And then a lot of it is the person for whom you're messaging. You, you have to know who Greg Ballard is, what his, what his mindset is, what his priorities are, what his quote unquote brand is what is acceptable to him and not acceptable. And so those sorts of things, you have to put your principle in a position of strength. And what you did in the mayor's office, I just recently recorded a podcast with Doug Bowles, who I know you know very well. Yep. He's the president of the, Indianapolis, Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yep. I called you a mad scientist. I said, that's why he get along with Goldsmith so well, because Michael and Steve are both mad scientists. And what you did is you came up with these terrific ideas, these terrific solutions to problems that the city hadn't addressed in any meaningful way in the Unigov era. And my job was to take something that was a complex problem that was a multifaceted solution and turn it into a series of messaging points that someone could say, okay, I'm on board with that. Yeah. It's a gift, I tell you, because I learned so much from you just in terms of how you would coach me and others to engage with reporters and the great Matthew Tully, rest in peace, and people like that. You know, there's a whole there's a whole art to that, and um, so and you know what? So and I want to talk. I want to talk about uh, leaders and legends. I think you you um, by really taking advantage of the medium, you know, podcast and and your conversations with your colleague, but, but really just getting out and getting after it. And just like what it's inspired me and it's inspired a lot of other people. Cause you were just like not asking for permission, just get just what I'm imagining is you just make it made a list of people. And then one conversation leads to another person that you want to go talk to. And, um, I appreciate that. I'll give you an example. Yeah. I did not know David Frick. Okay. I knew him. That's not true. I knew him enough to shake his hand. Hi, David. Hi, Robert. I'm having lunch with Mark Miles, who's the, the, the most impressive leader, non-elected official leader. 
I mean, he wins by a nose over Jim Morris, but I think Mark Miles is just, I mean, he's an alchemist is what he is. For sure. Anyway, we're having lunch at the, at, at the steer in on at 10th and Emerson on the east side owned by my buddy Casey Kerr, Cecina class 86. And he's like, you should have David Frick on your podcast. And I'm like, I don't really know him that well. And Miles goes, he's the single most important person no one's heard of. Like the public at large. Like all the leaders know who he is. Yeah. And Chris Spangle, who's my podcast engineer, your buddy, who uh, is the leading podcast uh, expert, I think. Great, in the state. great libertarian thinker, yeah, too. Just yeah. incredibly knowledgeable. Yeah. Of all the podcasts we've done, that is still his favorite, and it was probably number 20-something. So for people who haven't heard of him, uh, deputy mayor and other leadership positions in that Hudnut era. So a lot of the what the the amateur sports strategy, the the downtown development. David Frick negotiated the deal that brought the Colts to Indianapolis. Yeah. David Frick negotiated the deal that kept the Pacers here. He helped negotiate what was going on with Caritas. He helped negotiate and put on the U.S. Sports Festival. I almost called it the US Festival. The Sports Festival. You know, in '82. He is, his fingerprints are, he, I'll give you another thing he did. He was selected by Mitch Daniels to build Lucas Oil Stadium. I mean, it's phenomenal what this guy has done. All the while, probably making 75 grand, 60 grand a year as a deputy mayor for an entire city. He's a graduate of Harvard Law. And I asked him, when you're talking to the lawyers for the Colts in 83, 84, right? I said, did the fact that you graduated from Harvard make a difference to these East Coast attorneys and snots, you know, who exist in that world? And David looked at me and goes, yes. Now, that's an interesting little nugget. Yeah. If he had gone to the University of Iowa, the University of Alpo, University of Kentucky, all great schools, right? I'm not making fun of that. But he was at Harvard Law. He was at Harvard Law at the same time as as Justice Stephen Breyer. That made a difference. Wow, interesting. So as you the the list is staggering. I'll pull it up here in a second of all the people that you've talked to. But I guess I want to. I want. Are there are there patterns that you started to see, or things that come to mind? You know, as you as you talk to these individual folks, boldness for the city. I mean, the city, Indianapolis has made the right decision or its decision makers have made the right decision multiple times. Building the dome without a stadium. Now, people don't realize it now, but in the early 80s, NFL franchises moving wasn't that rare. You had the Raiders moving from Oakland to L.A. You had the Rams moving from L.A. to St. Louis. And there's probably a couple others. I don't know that they happened in the 80s, right? But I mean, you had the... the Houston Oilers moving to Tennessee, and the list goes on and on. That would be one. Two, the decision of Mayor Luger and his chief of staff, Jim Morris, I believe, to build Market Square Arena downtown, which you think now is a no-brainer, but in the early 70s, when you were having the beginning of the migration to the suburbs, there was a significant push to have the stadium, the arena, excuse me, built near Lafayette Square. A lot of money on the northwest side with Eagle Creek, you know, and that sort of thing. And you had that, the sprawl. And it was Richard Luger who said, no, 
if we're going to build this, they use some money from the Nixon administration's grants to the cities. We're going to build it downtown. And Morris says on the podcast we did with him that one of the reasons why Mayor Luger was so intent on having in a basketball arena downtown is because Mayor Luger didn't like driving to Assembly Hall to watch the state high school basketball championships. Interesting. So these And that of, changed everything. Yeah. Market Square Arena being downtown yeah. changed everything. Totally. And uh these these bold moves, I mean I mean, I think so And there's another I, let me give you another bold yeah, yeah, move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, of all the people I've approached to be on the podcast, I mean, Daniels is intimidating because he's just so, in, his his career is just so ridiculous, right? But he was very kind to come on twice. There's been a few other people I've, I've you know, you're kind of cringe, but approaching no one person to be on the Leaders and Legends podcast made me more nervous than when I approached Bart Peterson. Okay. I was working at the Indiana Republican Party as comms director. Basically, when he lost, yep. I left to go work at Shill Sexton in October. He loses a week later to Ballard. Um, you know, he loses. He's the only mayor in the Unigov era to lose. He loses to Greg Ballard, who had the name ID of the guy who served me my milkshake at Bottle Works yesterday. Like, Ballard had no chance winning that election. Should have lost by 50, right? Should have been the Globetrotters and the Generals. Right. But Ballard won. And we were kind to Peterson, as we should have been in the administration, but I was a little nervous. But Peterson's, Mayor Peterson, along with Teresa Lubbers, who was a state senator at the time, and she's come on the podcast, their drive to create the charter school law in Indianapolis is as transformational in its own way as anything. For sure. An incredibly bold move. And I asked Mayor Peterson about running again in seven. You had two successful terms. Why didn't you just hit the bricks? And he said... It's because I wanted to protect charter schools. Wow. I don't know. I didn't know that Ballard would have. And then he was very complimentary of Mayor Ballard. But he said, that's why I ran. Wow. There's a, there's a perspective um, that I hear now among younger people sometimes. And I try to check myself so it's, so I don't sound like get off my lawn. But it's like, <laughs> so like, let's say, you know, I've experienced this lately. Like, say, young person has moved to Indianapolis in the last five years and they, they're, they're critical of the city because it's they're comparing it to Denver, you know, and there's a perspective sometimes that gets lost. I lose it sometimes that it's like without these men and women, many of you whom you're talking about, Indianapolis was on a trajectory 60 years ago where there wasn't going to be much to differentiate it from like Springfield, Illinois. Right. That's right. And, I, and it, so like, I kind of want to like I don't want to be get off my lawn, but I want to say to these young people, it's like, oh, you have you have no idea how much this city has ascended in like the last 40, 50 years. You know? One of the questions I ask my guests, you're right, I have a lot of historians on, a lot of authors, um, but but the the civic-minded guests or who have basically had their whole career in Indianapolis, I've asked, I don't know, at least a dozen or more, if I would have told you in 1980 that 30 years from now, from then, excuse me, Indianapolis not only would have won the right to host the Super Bowl, but completely redefined for the NFL what it meant to host a Super Bowl, you would have said, and to a person, they go, you're on crack. right? Or would have the facilities and the organization to do the entire men's Division I NCAA tournament 
Yeah. And you know, in a, in a pandemic, like you just, yeah. when I, I've said this before on my podcast, I was born in 1967. I lived here my whole life, except for the three years I was in the army. The only time I went downtown when I was a kid was to see Dick, the bruiser at the, at the convention center, Ernie Ladd, the crusher, Ox Baker, you know, the list goes on and on, right? And so Spike you, Huber. Yeah. <laughs> there was no reason to go downtown. You never went downtown. And now the fact that, I mean, it's obviously been a difficult year, but forget that year. Everyone wants to come downtown. Yep. And why wouldn't you? The um, the theme of um, the civic mindedness too. So this is something I think you impressed upon me when we were in the mayor's office. The uh, and, and it's it's kind of uniquely Indianapolis. You you encouraged me to reach out to former. Uh, so we were working for a Republican elected official, you know, Republican mayor. But you encouraged me to reach out to appointees of, you know, Mayor Bart Peterson, the Democrat that Ballard had defeated. Few of them now are close friends of mine, things like that, and then and even and even some, uh, uh, you know, former Democrat appointees reached out immediately saying, "Hey, however I can help," and, and you know, and it, and it was genuine. And now I'm, you know, now I'm kind of on the other side of that, seeing that, and I'm like, man, this this doesn't happen in other places. And again, listening to as many of your podcasts as I could, this theme of, you know. Um, you know, I do my time in public service, but I'm going to help whoever the team is, is something that has persisted for decades now. That's, that's a terrific way of putting it. And I've made a point to have Republicans and Democrats on my podcast together. John Mutz, Louis Mayhern, Michael Connor, Paul Okeson, Robin Winston, Mike McDaniel, uh, Lou Gehrig, and uh, Bill Morrow. Uh, we had Jim Kittle and Ed Tracy on together. You'd think, oh my God, they must they must be at daggers drawn. They went to IU together. They're the best of best of friends. And so, you know, there is that spirit and it's, it's tougher to, to maintain in today's environment for sure. But you know what? I'm hoping to have Murray Clark and Kip too come on. They both said they would. It's just a matter of me scheduling it. And they're fun conversations because you, what you find out is they've worked together a hell of a lot more than they've worked against each other. Or there's some sort of like, you know, Good morning, Ralph. Good morning, Sam. If you remember those cartoons from the, you know, the sheepdog and, and Wiley Coyote. And that's the way it is. Ed Tracy is more like my father than anyone I've ever met in politics. He's they're the exact same person except for how they vote. And Greg Ballard used to so that's the craziest bromance I've ever encountered in my life. And I'm like, I want Ed Tracy in my foxhole, don't you? And when we needed Ed Tracy. And we needed him a couple of times, yep. utility deal, yep, and the CIB deal, the first one we did in 2010, in June of June of 10, with with the Pacers, Pacers Sports Entertainment. When we needed Ed to deliver for us for the good of the city, Ed did. Absolutely, and um, and look at Peterson. Peterson was a phenomenal mayor for yep. seven and a half years. Right, he had a lousy six months, and he had a lousy six months at a bad time to have a lousy six months. For sure. And but that doesn't obviate the terrific list of accomplishments and the smart people he had working for him. Michael O'Connor, Melina Kennedy, I mean Jennifer Simmons. I mean the list goes on. Tons of smart people. Yeah. I mean just because we're Republicans, we don't have a lock on really smart people and people who want to be helpful and who love this city. Yeah. So you, you hope you would hope that that's something that we can hang on to. Um, 
in the next generations. Cause I don't know, I, I have felt you, so you and I would be like this kind of like the third generation since Luger, basically, basically, if you, if you look at it and well, you worked for Goldsmith. So, and I, I didn't really get involved until I, I only worked with him after he was mayor. Well, I didn't 01. know that you weren't involved I moved at all. Here. I moved here in 01. So yeah. So, so, um, so did you get your MBA at that time? I got it in 03, 04 and 05. So I, so he, um, he was principal in a firm called NetGov. That yeah. was, and, and so I worked for NetGov in a consulting wing of NetGov. So I got to know him, got to do a lot of projects. But so I, sometimes I, uh, I don't, I've been so, I've been so lucky in my life with, you know, uh, people I've met, present company included, you know, but I am a little bit, it would have been cool to be there, be here in the nineties mm-hmm. just to see that, you know, so, so, I, so a lot of that's looking back. Work I, with Joe Loftus and yeah. work with Doug Bowles and work with Susan Brooks. Right. And the list goes on. Right. Just incredible. And, um, you hope that into, you hope that today, I think what a lot of these mayors of Indianapolis had in common, Democrat and Republican is they would, were able to get people, well, there's there's a theme of really good young people at the beginning of their careers, some of whom you named, and then they're also able to draft people into service to give up, you know, bigger, more lucrative opportunities, professional career, and it's like this this kind of support system of people stays together, you know, which is pretty cool. And the one thing I would add to that, actually, a few things. I guarantee you, if you asked Richard Luger, rest in peace, or Hudnut or Goldsmith, or Peterson, or Ballard. If you, at, what, if you wanted to make them smile, if you wanted to have them reflect in a positive way about their time as mayor, it wouldn't be ribbon cutting, it wouldn't be buildings, it wouldn't be we handled this crisis, we hosted this event. It would be, tell us about your staff. What are your staff doing these days? That's what I, I've had people say, you know, I'm meeting Greg Boward. I don't know him that well. You know, you got any tips? And I just laugh. I go, ask him what he thought of his staff. And I go, he's putty in your hands. And he's so proud of you, Michael. Yeah. He's so proud of Brandon Brown. Yeah. He's low. You know, he just, he's a jerk to me as always. Yeah. You know, he's always got something to say. And I have a very unique relationship with him. Part of it's because of the military and the fact that both my parents were in the Marine Corps. But, you know, he likes to stick it to me. And a lot of times he would stick it to me in the middle of meetings or in the middle of 25th floor. And you know, like a good East Sider, I'd have to stick it back to him. But he's a terrific leader. Uh, you know, ask Bart Peterson about all the people he worked, you know. Because you got to remember, Bart Peterson's the Evan By tree. Fred Glass is getting ready to come on my podcast here in a few weeks. I mean, your chiefs of staff are, I think, Hogsett, Peterson, Glass, and Bill Morrow. I mean, these elected officials revel and enjoy their either hands-on or one-step-away mentoring of people, and they love to see their folks go out and run stuff. No one, I guarantee you, nobody was more proud of our friend Ryan Vaughn and his phenomenal leadership during the tournament and before then and his staff than Greg Ballard was. Yeah. I got to have him I got to have him on um I think he's episode this is episode 19 what we're talking about right now so I think I had him on episode 9 it was like a week before he and Winnie moved and um 
I got to, I've, I've never, it's funny. I've never done anything gimmicky like a segment, but I basically said, and I wanted to surprise him. I was like five Ballard ideas that I didn't get. And I just listed them <laughs> and he was laughing. I was like, you know, it was robotics competition and electric cars. And what was cool about that is he ends up spending most of that conversation digging more into, uh, sustainability, alternative fuels. And, um, it's my most listened to episode of the 18 so far, you know, I'm, I'm new at this. unlike you, but I've had so many people ping me and be like, I, it was really cool to hear him go into such great detail about, about this. Now, of course he's got almost two books. Now you've helped him a lot mm-hmm. with that, um, on, on this topic. And I was like, I appreciate my point is I appreciate him a lot more now. You know what I mean? I, I couldn't see all of it at the time, you know, he, but go ahead. I was in Paris in November of 2015, and I texted him. I get it. And he texted, he was still mayor, and he texted me back, and he goes, what do you get? And I said, I'll tell you when I get back. And what I got, let me say this, no mayor, new mayor of the city of Indianapolis was treated more terribly than Greg Ballard. He was treated terribly by the so-called um, uh, leadership, the class, blue bloods, the whatever, yeah, the hell with them. They treated him terribly, yep. And they all they all owe him a big apology because Greg Ballard, no person ever outperformed expectations like Greg Ballard did. And and it, it was as you know because we were both there. There's now, now it's the opposite. Now there's such a revisionist history about him. Oh, he just came in and did the right thing, got stuff done. Those first 18 months, some, some, some were unforced errors within the administration, myself included, and some were the poor treatment. It took about 18 months. Once he, once, once he got his team in place and aligned, people don't understand his ability to weigh the options and make a decision and then go and not look back is so underrated. I completely agree. I got there in November of nine. No, I got there in November of eight. He gets inaugurated in January of eight. I'm the press secretary for the transition. The day he gets inaugurated, I go back to Shield Sexton, one of the great companies of the city. And then I come back in November of eight. I don't know how much money Paul Okeson spent at Patashu, Wayne, trying to get me to come in. It had to be hundreds of dollars because I didn't want to. Because, you know, I had young kids and, you know, I had a pretty nice gig and, you know, I took a pretty significant pay cut, a very significant pay cut to work a hell of a lot more hours in much more stress, much more exposure. But I was committed to Greg Ballard. I didn't know a lot of his staff. I knew a few. I knew how amazing Paul Okeson was as a terrific, terrific chief of staff. But, you know, as I got to know you a lot better, I'm like, man, you know, if we can hit on some of these ideas... We can turn around this, you know, Ballard came in, he was a Marine, and that works for you in some cases, public safety, but it works against you a little bit, you know. It's like the military is seen as this incubator of geniuses, right? I mean, he did have a master's degree. I mean, the list goes on and on. But he clearly was not expected to win, and he was treated like he was not expected to win. When I was press secretary during the transition, I would get emails from people saying, does this guy even understand what the city's all about? You know, that kind of stuff. Is he going to be able to provide the leadership? And I just write back, I'm like, how many years did you spend in the military? And so for him to be, I mean, you got to be a hardcore partisan 
to to not think that Greg Ballard was a terrific mayor because he was. Just that executive ability to make a decision and not look back. And I told him in our conversation on you know episode nine or whatever it was, I was like, I was like, I made a lot of mistakes, and you never ever once came back and was like, why'd you do that? I can't believe you did that. It was all like there was one time when it was a you know I walked in, we'd made a big mistake on an economic development project, and he just says, well. I bet you won't make that mistake again. <laughs> and that's always, and I was like, I was palm sweating, you know, but that, but again, I haven't, you've served, he served that there's, I have to think there's a, that's a military well, ethos. You, well, you, I'll give you another example. I'm reading the star Indianapolis star online. And I read that judge Payne is no longer going to send kids to the guardians home. It's in Irvington. I grew up literally across the street. My house was across the street. And I walk into Ballard's, Colonel Ballard's office and say, did you see this? And he goes, no. And I go, we can't let the guardians home, that building sit empty in the heart of Irvington. Like we just can't. Ballard looked up and said, well, do something about it. And those were my marching orders. I walked right out of his office, walked through the convent, the uh, um, conference room, walked into the education office sat down in, in the utterly brilliant Kariga Roush, his office, and said, pull this up, and he pulled it up. I'm like, that's got charter school written all over it. And he goes, let me do some digging. And the Irvington Charter High School happened at that moment with a lot of hard work, mostly for Kariga. I mean. He's brilliant, yeah. But, but it was me going to Ballard saying, we can't let this happen. And Greg Ballard didn't push back. He didn't convene anything. He just said, come up with some ideas, basically. Kariga came up with the idea, and now, you know, thousands of kids have gone through one of the best high schools in the city, if not the state, yeah. and it's all because Greg Ballard says, all right, we'll do something about yeah. it. There's a there's a theme that keeps coming back in um, the loggers, the leaders and legends, excuse me, leaders and legends episodes that I've listened to, and that is, and I'm, I'm going to make a statement tell me if I'm on to something because it's less of a question. And it's like what I'm getting from a lot of these conversations, and, and many of your guests have said this, we did what we thought was right at the time. We had no idea that it would become fill in the blank. And it's like for me, one of the reinforcing thoughts that is uniquely Indianapolis, but you compare it to other things as well, but is that is almost like it's like, what a lot of them had in common is they weren't thinking about their legacy. They weren't taking a poll every time they made a decision. And I also, I also hear some of your guests and, and these stories about Indianapolis things like you're talking about the eighties, David Frick, things that he worked on. You'd have no, we'd have, you'd have no idea that it would cascade into what we have today. And that what I, my takeaway is stay on task, head down, you know, work in the community, but don't obsess about your legacy. You know, don't obsess about how you look doing it because you know, the your other people are going to write the story. You, well, know? you, you I don't know. Indianapolis doesn't have, you know, it's been mentioned several times, no oceans, no mountains, no beaches, no that sort of stuff. Okay, that's fine. So that means you have to throw the long ball. Building a, a stadium with no team, that's the ultimate long ball. I mean, it's unfathomable. At a time where the Ballard administration and you were behind this, and I just recently had to defend it in the Star less than a year ago, People are still fussing and whining about the parking meter deal, and those. I, the, I love that project still. I mean, and yeah. the same people. And I wrote a snotty letter in the Indianapolis Business Journal about it after I was interviewed by the Star. But 
the people who, who think that's a bad deal, those are the people who would have sat in the room and said, you can't possibly build a stadium. You can't. We don't have a team. We don't have the money. Remember, it's the early 80s when they built the, Art, the Hoosier Dome. The economy was pretty rough. I mean, they opened it in 84. The economy came back. Reagan in November of 84 wins 49 states. I mean, the list, things got better. But when it was first being discussed, the economy was jacked. So the folks who who are still whining about the parking meter deal, I'm like, I'm glad they knew you weren't in the room when, when Hudnut and Joe Slash and, and David Frick and whomever, and Jim Morris said, you know what, P.E. McAllister, Burt Savars, look, we got an opportunity here. And we need to take it because if we wait, then, you know, all everything that's happened in the NFL, they may get, they may go to another city. And just imagine what Indianapolis would be like with no Colts. Same with charter schools legislation. We're sitting here in a house in right. my, at my home studio in Fall Creek Place. Um, let me think. Uh, we're within eight blocks of three really good IPS schools and at least one, maybe two, really good charter schools. None of that was here 15 years ago. Would have been possible. And it's made it's made it's it's created all these opportunities for the people who've lived in this neighborhood for years. And this this neighborhood, as you know, was half empty in the 90s. Right. You know, every other lot was abandoned. And you know, and that that what you talked about earlier, Peterson and Senator Teresa Lubbers. That was a huge risk politically at the time too. You know, talking Especially about the long game for Peterson. That was just a significant risk. And it's one of the greatest developments in the history of Indianapolis. Well, you say modern Indianapolis, but, and he deserves credit for that. And Greg Ballard in the 2007 campaign was effusive in his praise of Bart Peterson for that. So the reason that Peterson stated that he ran in 2007 for a third term, when a lot of people advised him not to, was to protect charter schools. He ended up losing, but charter schools has thrived since then. And as I recall, Ballard kept every single charter school or education position, Beth Bray and Christine Marson and Kari Roush. He kept them all because he's like, Hey, well, you guys are doing a great job. Why would I get rid of you? Yeah, absolutely. As you look ahead, um, do your, do the, the interviews that you've conducted so far are there, um, you know, you've got, you've got young adult children now. And as you think about, you know, wanting your children to, you know, I don't want to mm-hmm. assume, but potentially stay in Indianapolis or at least regard it as an option where they could raise families and things like that. Are there, does it has, have the hundred plus interviews made you think any differently about the next decade or two or three? The only intersection of those is the fact that I, I get in trouble when I don't mention my daughter's name in the podcast. She's like, you know, you talk about Andrew a lot, but you don't talk about me. And I'm like, mm, I don't know that my son would find himself to be particularly favored over a daughter. Michael, you have three kids. I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, you know, Indianapolis has got has every reason to continue to grow. It's got some reckonings. Uh, the last year has been tough. But are they going to build the new hotel? I hope that they do. I, w- I was really happy to see that the, the Capital Improvement Board and the and the city have agreed to continue to expand the convention center. Uh, these sorts of things, you know, there's a famous saying, I think it was Oliver Wendell Holmes, who said the law should remain stable, but it should never stand still. Well, a city should remain stable, but it should never stand still. Yeah. And whoever is going to lead this city has simply has to be bold. And that's exactly what Bart Peterson said 
in the fall of 11 when they had the all the mayors. They asked him what was the key, and Luger was there, and Hudnut was there, and Goldsmith and Ballard, and Bart Peterson said, be bold. And I think that's exactly right. Because nobody, it's like nobody says, well, you know, Mayor Robert, he was mayor for eight years, and he had the chance to do all these risky things, and he just took a pass on all of them because he wasn't going to take the risk. No one writes that. You know what I mean? You, it's like it's like I want to I want to some especially younger political appointees. I want to I want to say people remember what you do. And and Michael Crowther, maybe you've interviewed him. He was a, the CEO of the Indianapolis Zoo for a long time. He's from England originally. He had this great. I've never forgotten this. He's like he, when I was when I was deputy mayor when you were. Uh, uh, chief of staff deputy chief, i forget the title you were over communications on effects maximus that's right um michael crowther saying michael it's not it's not enough to stop bad things from happening what's most important is to make good things happen and it's such a it's such a simple concept but that's always stuck with me you know well the easiest thing in the world is to take a whole bunch of polls be moderately aggressive and but but cautious rely on a voter base that is in your favor and then win, 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 win. I remember the utility deal, I was a big, which is you. The utility deal is Michael Huber being a mad scientist. And then Chris Cotterell, Chris David Cotterell Sherman. then David Sherman, yep. and Nate Feltman. Yeah, for sure. And a whole host of people. But, but you know, that's the, the genesis of that deal, Michael, is you. And you deserve credit for it. And I was a big fan of that, and that got Ballard reelected. That and rebuild Indy. That got to my mind. That got Ballard reelected because man, he he had money to spend. It was bold, and we messaged it like crazy. And we were, ex- but we were exposed. The boldness exposes you. That's right. And then it's all about how you message it. And then at the same time, we did the deal for the Pacers. It was only thirty three, thirty two and a half million, thirty three and a half million, but it made them stay necessary improvements the parking meter deal which is an unambiguous win i remember a reporter asked me he goes why is it so expensive to shut down the meters and i laughed and said because the program is so successful if the program was a failure it would cost nothing to shut down the meters the millions of dollars that goes to street improvements yeah right exactly so that's three things right off the top of my head in ballard's first term that led to his victory and people forget in 2011 greg ballard won andre carson's district and greg ballard won re-election three years after barack obama carried marion county by 150,000 votes a little less but right around there which means tens of thousands of democrats have been registered to vote for barack obama all the d's have to do is turn them out and Ballard still won. And I used to tell the mayor, when you give a speech, close your eyes and envision the house in Indianapolis that had the Mitch Daniel sign and the Barack Obama sign. And there were plenty of those in 2008. Yeah. And those are the folks who just will reward honesty, leadership, performance. Um. So uh, I do, of course, 15 minutes has gone by like that. And we still have a few minutes. I don't want to wrap up too early as you, you got, you got a commitment. I got to take the boys to soccer practice. Um, I do, we're going to have to have a part two at some point. <laughs> um, but before, before we go there, um, 
Leaders and Legends podcast. I want to encourage everybody to listen to that. Where where do you where do you see it going now? Because it's like you and I, again, I listen to it, and I and not only would I highly recommend anyone who wants to hear the stories of these very influential individuals, but you also have some some you you find these historians from books that you've read. You're also one of the most voracious readers I know. So <laughs> I th- and I think that's where I do think that's where some of your um, ability to you know. Uh, uh, message on very complex subjects comes from just your reading and you'll have these historians on just getting, getting, you know, doing a deep dive into their book, which is really cool. But so you've done 120 some interviews. Where, where do you think you're taking this next? I'd like to have more historians on. I get a pretty good reaction, but I don't want to lose the focus on Indianapolis. I mean, you have to sit there and think about how much longer you can, you can make it go. Um, But, but, but one of the, one of my favorite guests is Clint Hill. And when I asked people who's, I had a, a podcast interview with a guy named Clint Hill and no one knows who he is, at least, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority. And you're shaking your head. You don't know who he is. Clint Hill is the secret service agent who climbed aboard the Kennedy limousine in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963. He's written several books he came on with his co-author, and he was absolutely fascinating to talk to a man who was there on that day, probably the most prominent Secret Service agent in history, and it's basically his career that the movie In the Line of Fire with Clint Eastwood is based. Um, Medal of Honor recipient Sammy Davis to talk to him about being the inspiration for the movie Forrest Gump, which he is. So in the movie where Tom Hanks is getting the medal, receives the Medal of Honor from President Johnson, that's Sammy Davis. Wow. They just put Tom Hanks's head on it or face. Um, I like to do more R&Ds together. Uh, and there's some – another thing I've done as we wrap up is I like to have people on to talk about administrations and great men. So I did a podcast you know, about Luger. I did a podcast about Birch Bayh, Frank O'Bain, and Joe Kernan. Uh people like that who are and say, look, let's talk about that time. What's it like? Cause you worked for a mayor. I worked for a mayor and let's talk about what these men did. That's something that these again, leaders did in, 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 in promoting your podcast. That's another thing I would say is like you get an appreciation for, um, when you, when you said earlier, ask, ask a mayor to talk about his or her staff. Right. And you just get right. And you're exactly right. Because it's like, what I appreciate so much is like, it's one thing to have a big idea and bold vision and people in Indianapolis right now are talking a lot about bold vision as they should. But I mean, where my mind goes and I know you and I had these experiences, it's like, okay, how do you recruit the team? Where do you raise the money? You know, how do you like, how, like organizing really matters, right? When you get into these, the, the, these stories of administrations. That's exactly right. And, and I mean, you mentioned about people, I'll say a couple of things very quickly because I know we're almost out of time. But when Ryan Vaughn is your third chief of staff, I mean, you're kidding me, right? Ballard never never got enough credit for the people whom he recruited to work for him, especially considering, and this is not part of the equation, that Mitch Daniels was down the street and he had a really smart group of people. So the pool from which to draw was somewhat shallow because Daniels had all these great people working for him, right? 
So that's A. B, Ballard never got enough credit for how his travels in the Marine Corps shaped what he wanted to do in this city. Greg Ballard's easily the most traveled mayor in the history of Indianapolis, and I don't know how you beat him. I mean, he's been to all these places while he was serving. Bike lanes, bikes, clean energy. The fact that he had younger kids just out of college. What do you want in a city? So you get your college degree, Erica, Greg Jr. What are you looking for when you move to the city? And you're like, we want this and we want this. It's people, not things. And he wanted to create a city and did that young people wanted to live in. And a, and a Republican who could message in only in a in a real way that only he can about diversity and about making it you know a more international city. And of course, in the, we are we are at a crossroads in America, but certainly in Indianapolis. Like the way that we the way we the way we address race and talk about race has obviously got to change. But yet with with Ballard talking open, he he was talking about these subjects in a way many years before any Republican, especially locally, was talking about it. There is no entity as diverse as the United States military. Yeah, that's right. And both my roommates were black. Yeah. Their taste in music sucked. They cheated at whist. And they were the best people I've ever met. Yeah. And we all had nothing. You know, we all joined the military for various reasons. I have 15 members of my family who've served in the military. My friend Jerome Draper, Southside Chicago. I got to get the hell out of here. My friend Kenny Terry, his family, a lot of his members joined. You join for different reasons, but you're all thrown together and you got to get along and you got to help each yeah. other. And Greg Ballard brought that mentality here. So I'm, I'm excited about who you've got in the queue coming up. You know what? So... I met Tevi Troy in 2005. He wouldn't remember me at all. I was in a graduate school class in Washington D.C. and he come and spoke. He came and spoke with our class one morning. He's a so, presidential historian, you know. Yeah, I've had Harold Holzer on, who's the foremost Lincoln historian in the world. He was the advisor to the movie Lincoln. It's great. Yeah. And I, you know John Wertheim. Yeah, we got to be bold as podcast hosts too, Michael. John Wertheim grew up in Bloomington, went to Yale. He's the executive editor of Sports Illustrated. I sent him an email, and he wrote back immediately. He goes, happy to help a fellow yep. Hoosier. Quinn Buckner coming up. That's great. I hope so, for sure. Yeah. I like to do a lot of sports because we all like sports. I just had Robin Miller and Bill Benner on. They were hysterical, of course. Cool. Ray Tolbert. I mean, I like to have a lot of these folks on uh, to talk about not only their careers, but why their career thrived in the city and state. Yep. What was it about Indianapolis or Indiana that made these – these careers, Chris Zorich from Notre Dame talked about that, how much he just loved the school and that school made all the difference in the world in his life. Boldness, taking the long view, setting partisan politics aside, investing in people, you know, a lot of, just a lot of great themes uh, coming out of the leaders and legends podcast, Robert, we're going to have to have a part two because this wasn't near enough time. So I, I just thank you for taking the time. You're one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. You're a terrific leader and you're a convener at a time when people need to be brought together, and I'm very grateful to see you today. Well, thanks. I, I, learned, I learned a lot from you and, and continue to do so. And just and I think what you're doing with the Leaders and Legends podcast, I hope it's helping you and your firm, but it's uh, providing a tremendous public service. So thank, thank you, sir. All right, thank you. Thank you.